Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've bitten a penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Monday edition of Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. Spencer Israel, Joel Elkanen, Dennis Dick with you this morning. Well, I wonder what we're going to talk about today. Probably oil a little bit. Oil getting smacked again this morning thanks to the uh, expired, the, the near, the uh, near-term expiration of the May contracts and the contangos leading to a, uh, a massive uh, drop here in oil. We'll talk about that. We'll, we will bring on uh, a guest at 815 who is one of Joel's buddies who is, uh, as I understand him, to be a, an oil trader of some kind. So uh, we'll, we'll talk oil a lot today. And in addition to that, we'll also talk Earnings happening this week. We'll talk uh, video game stocks with, with our guest, Michael Pachter from Weddingbush Securities at, at 8.35. So uh, we'll take questions from our chat. A lot to get to on the show today. Joel, tell us what's happening here overnight. Oh, we're red, Spencer. It's like, uh, you know, Spencer was too young to remember um, Hogan's Heroes. And uh, there was a character on there that was really funny, Sergeant Schultz. And whenever he got in trouble, he'd say, I know nothing. Well, what I'm saying is that we better get up out of this area or that rally from Friday means absolutely nothing. It's really important. I think uh, Spinner will probably remember that character. Anyways, we had a lower open. We were able to clear the close. We got up to 75 and a half, and then we came unraveled, maybe the pressure from the crude oil market. We are below Friday's low, and we are coming up, looking at the close from Thursday. That's not too far away. That comes in at uh, 27.8750, that's your next target on the downside. Uh, Looking at crude, holy moly, we'll talk about that. The June down 277 at 22.26, and the May down a whopping $7. So we will talk about that contango, that spread, and why there's just not free money out there. Gold in the green by $2.30, traded down to 16.85, mounting a little bit of a rally with the weak market. Silver in the green by six and a half cents at fifteen thirty six, and Bitcoin loses seven thousand. We're down at six hundred six thousand nine hundred and forty. That's one hundred and forty dollars. Triple D, how was your weekend? Pretty good. I was it trying was? to. Yeah, I was. You didn't have a good weekend. Weekends are always I, good. I I had. I, What'd you I, do? I, What'd you do in your lockdown? What did I do in my lockdown? I did a lot. I did a lot, but I will just give you the highlight of the weekend. Okay, yeah. Lisa gave me a haircut. Looks pretty good. Yeah. I mean, doctor by day, barber by night. I know. do it all. It was driving me crazy, absolutely crazy. So, uh, you know, I couldn't get, you know, anyone to do it. So I called my buddy Craig Chappelle. Craig, if you're listening, thanks a lot. And he goes, yeah, man, I got these these, uh, um, clippers. And so he brought them over. Uh, Lisa did some research on the internet and we were cracking up. It was absolutely hilarious, but I was so glad, man. I know I'm a you know, conservative old guy. I have uh, short hair and stuff, but uh, we did that. We did some walks with Perry. Uh, we cleaned, we cleaned out, you know, cleaned out junk drawers and stuff. I mean, what the hell else is there to do? 
Yeah, pretty good. So you had a pretty good weekend, it sounds like. I actually trimmed my own sideburns. Check this out. <laughs> nice. Did that nice. myself. Very so nice. I was sitting there. I was like, these are getting out of hands. I got these <laughs> wings over my ears, and I feel like I could just fly away. So I was like, I got to do something about this. So did a little bit of sideburn cleaning up there myself, too. Laura's threatening to give me a buzz cut, you know, the pandemic buzz cut. And I've kind of warmed up to it. So <laughs> this might happen here eventually just to warn you, but... Uh, she did it to Spencer. Actually, Spencer loves it. He doesn't have to shampoo his hair, and he's, like, running around, thinks it's awesome. So, <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. want to do that. But, uh, anyways, people don't care about that. Uh, we're going to talk more oil. Uh, when my Bali pa- pa- my friend Paul Prowman, Polly, uh, I got a good story about him, but uh, I'll save that for when he comes on at 8.15. But, Dennis, we're giving him back all the Friday's rally. Yeah, it, we're leaking here. I'm still, you know, trying. We didn't ask Spencer Israel his weekend, though. I had a oh. couple. I'm, I'm glad you guys had a couple weird things happen. Um, I learned a hard lesson this weekend that you you shouldn't go three weeks without driving your car. Because I, I went to start my car, and it was not only was the battery dead, it, it was like deader than dead. It was completely, <laughs> so, it, it, it was so dead that I couldn't, I, by some miracle, I was able to unlock the driver's side door, but nothing else would unlock. I couldn't even open the door from the inside because there are no physical locks on my door. It's all electronic. So, and I couldn't open my trunk where my jumper cables were because again, it's all, it all runs on power. Oh, so no. What I had, so what I had to do was um, I have like a regular sedan. I have a, I have a, a Ford Fusion. I put the back seat down, crawled into the trunk, and I used the emergency release latch from the inside of the trunk to, to open up my trunk, get my cables, and uh, jump my car. So that was my adventure. That was the first part of my adventure. The second part of my, about my adventure, which I don't really mind sharing at all, is uh, I noticed yesterday, and if you're watching this, if you're actually watching as opposed to just listening, you'll maybe notice this as well. But I noticed that I couldn't really chew uh, or smile with the left side of my mouth. So apparently, as of yesterday, I uh, have Bell's palsy. And um, so if my speech Yikes. is a, a, if my speech is a smidge slurred, uh, I apologize. Uh, it's my face's fault. Um, how did you get that diagnosed uh i called uh joel actually. oh lisa <laughs> and i spoke with lisa good that we can know and, a doctor and, yeah and and she said uh yeah she said call you know call the uh the, you know the practice uh the yeah. on-call line and that's what i did and uh 24-hour pharmacy and here we are you haven't so, had that before no so I got a buddy that's had it twice, and I was telling you a little bit about it, but um, it, it, it usually will go away. It's went away for him on his own yeah. as well. Sometimes like, it's taken up to six months to a year it can take, which is horrible. Um, and obviously, I guess once you get it once, you can be susceptible to it twice because my buddy's had it twice, but yeah. it, it sucks. Um, he's had, I think, a little bit worse than you because his whole like side of his face would droop, but eventually it comes back. So yeah. what causes that? Uh, it's is like it stress-related? Nerve- I don't know. It's, it, it's like a nerve thing, but they don't know why it starts or even why it stops. So I guess I'm just in it for uh, however long I'm in it here. Oh. Uh, I'm in it. So you, you look good. You still look good, Mr. Israel. Oh, so. thank you. <laughs> here, I, I was going to wear my eye patch. So I'm supposed to wear to sleep, but I, uh, then I decided not to wear it. On. So you can't close your eye. Uh, I can close it, but it doesn't like feel, it's not like a tight close. It's like a loose close. Oh. So yeah, it's like the entire left side of my face. So so now you get to go through about. a pandemic with one eye open all the time. 
and one and half a smile. Yeah. Half a smile. <laughs> the sinister yep. looking smile. <laughs> Pretty much. That's my, uh, that was my weekend. Well, so let's, it could, let's get it could back have been a better this. weekend. <laughs> let's get back to markets here, guys. We're giving back those Friday gains. It's a very bad weekend for those who are holding the May expiration. We'll say that on a crude because this is just an explosion of like the, the contango here. I don't know if it's ever, has it ever done this before? I've, I I've never think, seen it blow like this. So, no. so we've had this question. We're going to get into it because we've got a guest coming on. It's going to explain at 8.15. But, you know, what we were thinking, and Mr. Israel was at, posing the question, the pre-pre-market show um, that we were just discussing is why not take physical delivery of the May sell it in June and lock in nine bucks. Well, the simple answer, which is going to be explained is you can't do it. Secondly, Joel knew minimum physical delivery is what? How many barrels we say? Thousand. A thousand barrels. So if you got a spot to store a thousand barrels, you could do it, but we're already beyond the first notice. So anyways, we're going to get at 815, our guest's going to come on, explain all the mechanics on why you cannot do this. So what you're seeing is just basically everybody who's holding the May WTI is just getting rocked. WTI, bring it up here right now. It was trading under $13, trading the 12 handle here this morning. Went off the board, what? What did we go off the board? Like 18? Uh, I, well, I actually, I did. Uh, I stopped messing with the May last week. I have a buddy, that, but you know, add six bucks. 1827 is where it went off the board. It opened lower at 1785 and once again, and we'll talk about opens with uh, Paulie when he comes on to ab about the opening uh, opening prices in stocks and boring commodities. But yeah, open lower, and then it slipped to eleven oh four. If you were trying that, it's, spread, it hit eleven bucks. Eleven oh four. Holy mackerel! Can you imagine being you know somebody that's already like you know? Well, I guess if you own this, it's it's awful here. But so there is people that do own this, but. You look at this at 11, then you look at the June. What's the June trade? And folks, K is the May. CL King 2-0 is the May. The yeah. June is CLM Mary 2-0. So a lot of your platforms might have flipped. You know, you're looking at at CL or yep. slash CL, depends exactly. on what you're on. Believe me, I'm looking at CLK 20 down at 1193, and I'm looking at CLM 20 at 2238 so it's 11 it's a 10 point spread right now yeah a little old. may and the june yeah that's incredible yeah so that's the chart on the screen right now that's the june contract and then to joel's point clk 20 the may contract that expires what tomorrow is 1196 you right got now. it backwards that that's the, the june right there oh the i'm sorry i'm sorry that's that's what i meant that's, that's what that policy we got to forgive you, you you knew what i meant you knew what i meant yep okay uh, you want to get a stock or two in here? Well, well, I think people want to know how do you play this. Like people want to be long. People are going long USO. Here's the problem with going long USO. We've explained this before. Is it, you know, and I'm not sure when they roll, if they've rolled already, but the way it's structured is they're always selling the current month and rolling into the next month. Now they've changed it because the contango isn't super contango right now. And it's so bad, they were actually changing, trying to change the way they do things. And they're trying to go two months out on those rolls. But the USO is the direct victim of stuff like this. Now, again, they may have already rolled it. I don't know. I'm not into, you know, I don't know exactly when they roll this contract, but that's how it's structured. 
So they're always the victim of contango. And when it goes super contango, it's going to get ugly. So your USO in all likelihood is going to very much underperform where crude is going. I mean, once May is off the board, we're going to be talking about crude trading at 21 because that's where the June is or whatever it is right 22. now, 22 this morning. So I, I mean, obviously we're not you know, going to be at $11 here or $12 here in a month unless you know the, the June continues to fall as well. But USO is the direct victim of this. So it's difficult to just say, I'm going to buy USO and you know oil is going to bounce back because you're getting licked, you're getting hit by this contango every single month. I mean, it can go to backwardation, but normally it trades with a little bit in, in contango, not in this super contango where it's a 10-point spread. So USO is direct victim of this. So it's a, if you want to own oil, I've always said own oil stocks. I don't want to own any oil. And if you look, you know, obviously XLE, XOP in the last little while, has done a lot better than USO. I mean, overall, if you even go to a longer term chart, USO just continues you know, to, to, to underperform where crude is because it's always getting hit by that contango, the, roll, the rolling costs. And you know, you've got to think about the physical storage of the oil. Um, and I guess we're going to go right into our guest here in 30 seconds here, so he'll be able to explain it better than me because I don't you know, take physical delivery of oil. But you know, imagine a thousand barrels of oil you've got to take delivery of. How the hell do you store that? So there's huge costs in storing that, and that's you know another issue as well. But this is a mess for you know investment vehicles like the USO, and they're trying to adjust on the fly here. You know, I, you don't you often see an ETF that's going to try to change the way they do things to try to minimize the impacts of this contango because they're getting rocked. You're selling the current month and buying the next month. That's exactly the opposite of you know the way to make money. It's just like burning cash. So it's difficult to just say, oh, yeah, USO is going to bounce back. If crude goes, if they've already rolled and crude goes up, it will go up too, but it's going to underperform. It's not going to track it perfectly. It's probably going to lag because of the contango. So let's bring on our guests. Let's keep this conversation still going. Waiting for really Paul, still waiting for Paul to dial in. So we got to put, oh, you know what? He, he's here now, as I say that. Excellent. So let's bring on our guest. Joel, why don't you introduce him? Uh, Paulie, you got us? I'm here. All right, so quick story. You got, I know you guys love stories, right? So when yeah, Lisa and I moved back from – what would you say, Polly? Go ahead. I want to hear your story. <laughs> so when uh, Lisa and I moved back from Chicago in 1992, uh, I was looking for a job coming from the floor. And I did mm -hmm. some research, and there was a commodity firm in Ann Arbor called Glenwood Financial. And it's still there, exactly. And uh, so I like I got to get a meeting with them, and I for you know, and I had a meeting and stuff. And I I'm like, yeah, yeah, I wanted to be a commodity broker. They had been running, you know, some different programs, and they were like, you don't want to be a commodity broker. You don't want to do it. And I'm like, yeah, oh yeah, I'm from the floor and everything. So I went there for about a year. And uh, it, it was tough. I was just trying to sell people commodities, be a commodity broker, different systems, a lot of cold calling and stuff. And things, things were going well. And um, a buddy of mine, make a long story short, I was contacted by Oldie Discount. And they said, you got to come and work for us. You got to come and trade. You have experience from the floor. And we'll teach you about stocks. So We paid Oldie to call you. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but and Dennis, you know, when I, you know, I, I talk about opens and things like that and opening price and indications for the, the trading day. Yeah. 
Yep. I learned it from Polly and then also his partner, uh, Mark Benjamin. So um, they but used to run it. But that's before all the electronic stuff also, which changed the way that you had to look at it, which we've talked about in the past as well. Right, right. So why is there not, uh, we can move on to some other good stories here, but why is there, talk about oil here and talk about why it's not free money buying a May and selling the June. Because the May goes off the board tomorrow. Unless you're a producer, you know, the FCM, the clearing firm we deal with won't even allow you to be in that market because they can't facilitate any uh, any uh, delivery for you to get it. And, you know, so the people are moving out into the June, which is, you know, going to go off the board in, in a month. Things may lighten up to where there may be storage available. At this point, there's no storage for the May contract. If you, if you own the contract and we're thinking of taking delivery as a producer, you have nowhere to put it. So you have to sell that contract out because, you know, there's, there's nowhere for it to go. It's, it's it, like, uh, how big is it? So when we're talking barrels of oil here, and obviously when you're taking a contract on, it's a thousand barrels. I can't yeah. even envision how like, 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 that, like an oil tanker you have to own to be able to put that into, like how big is a thousand barrels of oil? Like how, how big? So, you know, just describe like what is the physical containment that that has to go into? I mean, you know, really crude oil isn't, you know, where I know the most about, but I would bet that, you know, for instance, an oil tanker probably holds millions of gallons of oil. So if you own a couple oil tankers, it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. A thousand barrels is just a small amount of that. You're talking a tanker can hold millions of barrels. So we need to invest in tankers to hold this to, to power. But now again, you say it's not even possible. You can't do it. It's too late to do it. Right. It's too, it's too late now. I mean, because the thing is, I mean, again, the, the May contract's going to go off the board tomorrow somewhere at these levels. So it's not like between today and tomorrow, the market is going to go back up to 20 bucks. I mean, that's m- most likely not going to happen. But, you know, I've seen, I've seen, you know, amazing things happen in the commodity markets. So, but, you know, again, a thousand barrels of oil, I mean, you know, again, it's 55 gallons. What's that? 55,000 gallons. I mean, you know, how, I mean, how many gallons do you put in your car at a time? Let's say 20. So you're talking about, uh, what, 27,000 you know, uh, times to fill up your, your car. I mean, you know, people are doing that every minute of the day. At least they were a few months ago. Okay. But so what does this, so looking for, uh, well, first of all, did you have um, anybody trading to spread? Or do you know of people that are trading to spread? Because I know it, it's really fluctuated. Now it's at its widest level. I mean, there's a lot of money made on the spread until it locks up. Were you, were you guys trying to trade the spread at all? I mean, you know, again, we didn't have anybody doing that. But, you know, the, the large traders, as Joel, you know, they make their money trading the spreads more so than the outright. Yep. Because it's just a little, you know, less risky to at least have something on the opposite side. But, you know, I'm sure that there's people in this situation getting, you know, blown out, you know, because they're wrong. 
you know, as, as you know, you know, and another thing, Joel, when I was thinking about this, when I was coming in to do this show with you is because crude is a monthly expiration in the commodity markets, it's sort of like, for instance, in stocks, when it went from, uh, you know, pennies or eighth of a pennies down to decimalization. And so what it did is it took away the ability to really make a tick that was worth a lot of money because the crude is a monthly expiration. There's a lot of finicky stuff that can go on, you know, like what's happening today, because you're not talking, for instance, in the S&P, you got a three months expiration. And so, you know, there's a little possible more tame action, you know, towards the close of, you know, it going off the board. The storage costs on the S&P isn't as as significant, I will say, as the storage costs on these barrels of oil. So it makes it a little bit, you know, where this isn't going to happen on, obviously, S&P futures worlds. It's all about dividends and the interest rates that are involved in, in obviously, the difference in between the contracts there, not talking about physically storing a thousand barrels of oil. Right. Yeah. So looking at the June here. I mean, it's, I mean, I know you look at stuff from a, you know, a long-term perspective. I mean, this doesn't necessarily mean that the June contract's going to right to 12 bucks, right? But it certainly doesn't bode well for, you know, just maybe give us your long-term perspective. I mean, technically, we know it's an absolute disaster. Fundamentally, we know it's an absolute disaster. Uh, we got a lot of people on the show that come on, they're buying USO, oil's going back up. What what would you say to some uh, a perma bull in oil right now? I'd say you're wrong. <laughs> I mean, when I see when I see things that take place like this with this kind of velocity to one side, I mean, it could take years before you know it's going to turn around. Hold on, I'm pulling up a longer term chart. Um, I mean, r- r- really, for instance, back in 2016 when crude went from you know back in 2014 it was at a buck 30 a buck 40 area and it went down to uh what is that uh, uh, just under 50 bucks i mean we in, in my mind looking at a weekly chart going back that far we're still in in the throes of that move down this is possibly going to be the end of it but I mean, for instance, so we've been moving between, you know, just under 50 bucks back in early 2016 up to, you know, 85. But to me, that's just the fluff that was trying to take the wind out of the sails of the move from 130 down to 50. And now we're, we're, we're getting to the final throes of it. But you know what? Crude to me may not go up for another two or three years. What if you were bullish oil? What is the best way to play it? Because I've been explaining, you know, the USO is difficult because they're always buying the front or they're selling the front month and buying the next month. So this contango just burns USO investors. If you were bullish oil, what would be a safer way to play it? Gosh, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, again, I mean, you just have to take protection to the downside. I mean, you know, I, I mean, if, if you're permeable, it's like, uh, you're wrong. I mean, you get out and you lick your wounds and come back another day. I mean, you know, there's an old story, and this goes back to, you know, Paul Tudor Jones' video he did back 
after the crash in 87. And this goes back to the talks that Saudi Arabia and Russia and OPEC plus were having a week ago. He says in this video, says, if, if I think about OPEC getting together and making an agreement, I don't believe that any of them are going to follow it. And I don't either. I don't, you know, the, the, this is, the, you know, those Russia and, and Saudi, that's the only way they can make money. You, you think they're going to, you know, you know, sell their oil at, at 10 bucks? No, they're going to just pump out as much as they can and then it'll go to five bucks. So, I mean, at this point, fundamentally, I, I can't really see why somebody would be a permeable in, in oil. I mean, but, you know, that's what makes a market, right? Somebody needs to be on the wrong side. Exactly. And, uh, you know, we talk about, you know, before the, the COVID-19 crisis, we talked, you know, when we're looking at stocks and, and or commodities. And I, a lot of things I allude to is like, what was the trend before this happened? And there's no doubt that you could say the trend in oil was lower even before it happened, whether it's solar or electrification of cars, um, you know, the, the, you know, the trend was not your friend going into this. So, all right, uh, Dennis, you got any other questions for Polly or Spencer? No, thanks for coming on, though, Polly. I obviously explained. Hold on, because... hold on, Polly. I, I t- Polly, he, you know, a lot yeah. of people like to make fun of me pretty good and like to tell pretty good stories. And he said he was, uh-huh. I'm going to give him an opportunity to get tell one story. I could take it like a man, Polly. If you want to pass until the next time you come on, that's fine with me. Yeah. So when Joe was working here was, you know, again, after he came off the floor in Chicago, at that point, the S&P, I think, was probably trading around 400. And there was one day the market rallied and Joe says, what do you think it's going to do? I said, Joe, it's going up. He said, no way, Polly. It's never going over 419 ever. I said, really? Okay. <laughs> I guess uh, somebody I was, was wrong. Doing... I was wrong. Hey. And here, here we are on 420 Investor Day. So, uh, Polly Perlman, Glenwood Financial yep. in Ann Arbor, been in the commodity business for a long time, taught me a lot of stuff. First time I've had you on the show. Uh, thanks yep. for that great explanation. Say hi to uh, Mark and Greg when you see them, and I really appreciate it. I'll talk to you later. Okay, will do. Thanks, Joel. Talk to you later. Okay. Uh, S&Ps are getting off the mat here. Uh, we're still down 53 handles at 28.17. So do you think, folks, did we give you a good enough explanation on that? The only thing I is, um, I, I still, you know, and I've always tried to figure this out too. Like if you're bullish oil, you think oil's got to come back. It's not going to stay down at 12 bucks. Um, you know, it's difficult to find the vehicle. Why? Really why why do you think bet. it's going to, there's oversupply and there's no, I, no I, I, I'm not saying I think that I'm saying okay. if you want to be bullish, if you want to buy oil, if you are, or I'm not full disclosure, okay. I've been bearish oil for years on this show. You guys know that if you've been listening to the show, I've been like sell oil, you know, the whole way down. I'm wrong about some stuff. I'm right about some stuff. I'm right about the oil. How do you make the bullish bet? I don't even understand the mechanics to it. You know, that's the safe way. Because first of all, if you buy the USO, you're bullish oil. You go buy the USO, you're getting burned by the contango. Okay, we well, can buy the futures contracts, but we know these things keep rolling out the premium too. Like you buy the June and you're going to be looking at it, you know, and it's leaking, leaking, leaking. So I guess you can just go buy the futures contract. But at the same time, that leaks too, because it's got the storage costs involved with that as well. As it comes closer to delivery, you see crap like this happen, where the people who are holding the contract are really getting burned. 
So I say, go buy the physical oil stocks. It's the safest way to play. But when you look at the physical oil stocks, you're like, how many, how many of these are going to be in business? I mean, you had the Pioneer CEO come on CNBC last month and saying, you know, we had 81 producers or something right now, 81. And he's saying there might, at the end of the day, there might be 10. Like he's saying basically 70, 80% of the industry could go bankrupt here. So you look at it and you think, okay, well, I, I'm not probably safe to go into a lot of these oil stocks. Maybe Chevron's best of breed. I mean, you look, CVX, unbelievable how well that stock has held up. So I guess if you're really bullish oil, I guess maybe yes. you, you pick on the best stock. Chevron is undoubtedly the best one. I mean, from a charts perspective, from everything perspective, Exxon has held up okay, but it's been slammed pretty hard too. But you go into the little drillers and you think, okay, well, rig is a buck. Okay, well, that's just now a call option. It's not even a really you know, an investment anymore. At this point in time, it's literally just a call option. It's $1.11. It looks like it's probably potentially going to go to zero, or at least you know, they, they're going to have trouble. Um, you can go all through them. Occidental Petroleum, $45 a month and a half ago, 12 bucks. Halliburton, Schlumberger, you look at these, $7, $15, or $14 in Halliburton, which reported here this morning, 703 I mean, it's a very difficult bet to even place if you're bullish. Um, I, I guess maybe Chevron. What are your uh, thoughts? You know what? I, I think that I have, well, one thing that, uh, Paulie said when he was on, he said, you know, when you flat out asked him about that, he was like, well, you know, hedge, you know, do something, put into the downside. So if you are going to buy, you know, a Chevron or something, I, I would say the safest way, if you think there's these stocks have stabilized, or going flat, I think the best thing, and it's not fun or it's not sexy, but um, sell put spreads on them. I want to just sell puts because, you know, unless you have the cash in your account and you're saying, hey, I'm willing to own, you know, Chevron at 75 and you can go out and find a put and sell it for that amount and you got the cash set aside in your account, that's one way to do it. But if you sell a put spread, then if it, Let's say it doesn't necessarily have to go up. What if it just stays flat? Then you bring it into premium on the spread. I know it's not a, a you know, like I said, a, a way you're going to, you know, you can do it in size or whatever, but you got to know that you're going to, you know, your potential is the width of that spread. There's not going to be a good risk reward ratio on that. I know because I've tried to do those before. So that's, that's the safest thing that, you know, because if you buy the stock and you buy puts, who knows about your timing on that? Um, if, you know, if you buy the stock and you sell calls, you're only covered for the premium that you're taking in your calls. And then yeah. if one day you wake up and oil's up 10 bucks, you're not participating. As you're far. not participating. So tough game to play. It is. It is. Um, I, again, if I wanted to make a bullish bet on oil and I do not full disclosure, Chevron is probably the way I would play it. But again, you can go out to the crew features, the traders in the chat are saying, go out farther. You could go out farther. But once you start getting into that current month and you get into this, you know, ugliness of holding something and then obviously you're getting close to a physical delivery, there's no choice for these people now that hold the May to sell it because they can't take physical delivery. So you're really getting burned. And I mean, I don't know the day that the USO rolls, maybe it already did with the contract roll and maybe they've already sold and they've already rolled it out. Um, but again, that vehicle is always doing it uh, where it's getting burned by that contango. So it's such a tough way to play it. Like, so people who are coming in just saying, how can you go wrong buying USO at 376? This has been set. This exact statement has been set on the USO for decades. For a, you know, when did the USO come out? Like, look at the all-time chart, all-time high on the USO. Look at the all-time high on USO. The contango just slowly 
burns it uh, or, or it slowly just takes and, and hits the hits it down. So the all-time high on the USO, where are we? I think um, one is it one nineteen? I guess it's I not, not that bad. Did I, did I not go back? I thought far it would enough? be worse than that. Wait, I may not have gone back far enough. No, I, I, it might be it. Like I don't know when the U. When did the USO come out? Uh, is it 06 or was it out before that? No, I think you might be right. I think you might be right, Dennis. I think it is 06. I see it before that. I see. Uh, no, that's Chevron. Let me go to USO. Uh, yeah, I think I think 06. Yep, yeah. 06. And under yep. normal conditions, you don't see this type of contango. So you don't see where you've got the May trading 10 bucks below the June. Um, so now obviously this isn't, you know, this thing isn't burning up 40% a month. But at the same time, there's always an issue, it seems like, of contango because oil markets rarely trade in backwardation because it costs money to store that oil. So think about the oil. You buy a block of gold, GLD, the storage cost of that gold is minimal compared to a huge barrel of oil. So you think about you know, a big, you know, uh, an ounce of gold trading at whatever it is, um, is obviously the storage cost is a lot less. So you just think about that as the physical storage cost. If you're owning USO, you're basically just always like owning that physical oil. And the storage costs slowly just eat you away. So it's a difficult vehicle to make a lot of money with long-term because of the way it's structured. But I don't even know how you structure it right. So it's not like it's poorly structured. It's just, it's just a difficult thing to figure out how to just have oil exposure long-term without rolling futures contracts. I mean, it comes, they don't want to take physical delivery, so they have to roll out. So it's, it does what it's supposed to do, but it's just that roll. And when it's in contango like this, it's really getting burned. Uh, I saw a couple of people in the chat ask us about uh, stocks like Roku and Netflix. We will talk yeah. about those. We will talk about those with our guest, who I will bring on uh, right now. As a matter sure. of fact, uh, Michael Pactor is an equity analyst at Wedbush Securities. He covers, uh, in addition to Netflix and Roku, also. Uh, Snapchat, Facebook, Activision, Blizzard, EA, Take-Two. We've talked about those names catching bids of late. Uh, so, Michael, good morning. Morning, Spencer. How are you? Doing well. I'm going to try to turn uh, your camera on if I can, if you're wearing nah, 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 it. My hair's all goofy. I'm going to just oh, be uh, We like goofy. We, we like goofy hair. Yeah, <laughs> I know you do. You might need to be a regular on the show now we're, if you have goofy I'm, hair. I'm we're I'm all sure cutting our own hair, Michael. Like, nobody's yeah, going yeah. to the barber, so everybody it's has a, bad hair now. It's 5.30 in the morning for Mr. Factor. <laughs> okay, Would you guys show break. some respect? <laughs> all right. We'll give him a break. We apologize, Michael. Uh, I'll start off with Roku and Netflix, since I saw they were mentioned in our, in our chat earlier in the hour here. Um, We'll start with Netflix here, uh, Mike. I mean, what, what, what do you have to say about this and, and how, how the company is being impacted by uh, this crisis? Um, look, there's no question that uh, people will entertain themselves, whether they're stuck at home or they're able to go out. And so the, the only question is, you know, where's the market share shift? So we're definitely not going out, going to the movie theater. We're not you know, going to live sports events or concerts. We're not actually participating in outdoor activities to the extent that we're used to. We're not going to picnics or the beach. And so we're stuck at home. At the same time, we've gained an hour plus per day, just not commuting. So clearly there's plenty more time available to entertain oneself. 
and you're going to do it at home. And Netflix is a really easy solution. Um, and so there's just no question in my mind that engagement at Netflix is up and up double digits. It's probably up, you know, 10 or 20%. So we're using it more. The market loves that. And the market has, made, has reached a conclusion that if you use Netflix more, then you're spending more. And that's where there's a slight disconnect. Uh, because it, it's sort of like saying you stay at the buffet for an hour longer and you eat, you know, an extra pound of food. Well, the buffet doesn't charge you anymore. You know, you, you've already paid to get in. So I'm not sure that as far as existing members, there's a direct correlation between engagement and revenue. There is for sure a correlation if someone's not a member and joins, and there is for sure a correlation if someone was a member, was thinking of quitting because they weren't using the service, and now they're suddenly stuck at home using the service. So net-net, I think that they're seeing their churn decline domestically, that people aren't quitting because they're, they're stuck at home and they're watching Netflix. And that means net subscriber editions are going up. Internationally, for sure, net subscriber editions are going up. Their, their guide is 7 million subscribers. They're, they're probably going to add eight or nine. The stock's probably going to take one more leg up. Question is, what happens six months out? They aren't producing any content. So that's a double-edged sword. They're not burning cash the way they were because they can't spend it on new content, but they're going to run out of content in six months. I saw the funniest tweet I've ever seen uh, a week ago. Someone said, I finally finished Netflix. Well, that won't be so funny six months from now if we're stuck at home still because you are going to finish Netflix if they can't produce any new content. So my bias is with the launch of new services, Quibi, Peacock, um, you know, a push you've seen advertising for CBS All Access, they're going to slowly start to peel off subscribers later this year. And I actually think the stock's going to come back down to earth. So I remain a sell. I do not see how these guys ever make the kind of money that's required to, to justify a $200 billion enterprise value. They'd, they'd have to generate $10 billion a year in free cash flow. I think they're going to lose subscribers in the second half of the year after gaining a ton of subscribers in the first half. So, you know, we'll see what happens with the stock. So you do expect that when they, they report earnings tomorrow after the close. So you do expect uh, to see some upward movement uh, either into or after that report. The stock trades on subscribers. Uh, they guided 7 million net ads. I will, if I had to pick a number, it'll be between eight and 9 million. So they will blow away their guidance and the market's going to love that. Uh, the problem is the market doesn't look past its nose. Uh, you know, listening to Dennis talk about Contango, you know, Netflix is in Contango. It costs money to store all that content and it's slowly eroding in value. Hmm. I hadn't thought about thought of it like that, but it does make some sense. Uh, I, before we move on from that, I just want to get your quick thoughts on the Tiger King. I mean, is that not the greatest show of all time? You know, it's funny. Um, I, I mean, again, I'm not a, not a television critic, but I thought it was interesting that we saw three really damaged people who surrounded themselves by impressionable uh, others that they used. And uh, Carol Baskin, and I forgot the, the blonde ponytail dude in South Carolina, and Tiger King. But it was just how it was. It really was tragic to watch how broken all these people were. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. I mean, again, I, it, it's a phenomenon. We all watched it. Um, I, I, reading about the guy afterwards, I, I really genuinely hate Tiger King. He seems like a real asshole. 
Uh, yeah, couldn't agree uh, more with any of those comments. Uh, and moving on to Roku here, the, the pipes of the system, uh, I, I, it hasn't run up as much, but did uh, get a huge rally last week here. Thoughts on Roku? Um, it's a similar story to Netflix that, you know, higher engagement doesn't necessarily transfer to higher revenue, but the Roku model is built on selling unsold inventory, on capturing unsold inventory from channels that they exhibit on the Roku channel and then uh, making money by selling ads. So, you know, the upside is not their, their uh, player revenue, which is selling new players. The upside is platform revenue, which is all this unsold ad inventory. Um, you may have noticed we, we took our Facebook off our best ideas list last week because we're seeing anecdotally that ad rates are dropping by as much as 50% for online advertising. Um, you're seeing every major media organization laying people off or furloughing them uh, because they're just not getting the ad revenue. And it makes sense in a, in a recession, if we have a 20 or 30% you know, decline in GDP, then advertisers are going to spend 20 or 30% less. So I think the market's got this one wrong. Um, Roku is probably capturing all the unsold ad inventory that it wants. I just don't think it can sell that ad inventory at reasonable rates. So I think the market's priced in. These guys are going to crush. And they pre-announced and they barely beat their guide. I mean, they were literally 1% above the high end of their guidance. Um, I think they're in huge trouble going forward because I don't think they're going to monetize that ad inventory. So I think the market's just got this one wrong. And I don't know if you can talk about, uh, but just like Disney Plus and uh, Peacock and the other new services, uh, can you comment at all on, on how those are being affected? Or if they're being affected in the, in the same way, they probably all are. Well, I mean, the difference between those guys and Netflix is that everybody wasn't a subscriber to those. So, you know, we saw Disney popped out a number of 50 million subscribers, you know, that they're just crushing numbers. Um we're not subscribers to Peacock yet because it's not available for subscription yet. Um, the Comcast guys are smart. They're offering it for free to Comcast subscribers. That's about, you know, 40% of households or 35% of households. Those of us who aren't Comcast customers are going to have to pay five bucks for it. That's cheap. And Comcast, unlike Netflix, has a gigantic library of owned content. So they can throw their library content on there for years. And again, it's new to us. We haven't seen it. So I think Peacock's going to follow a very similar um, type you know, trajectory as Disney Plus. Just more content. So at the same time Netflix is losing its content and customers are starting to look for something else to watch, Peacock and Hulu and Disney Plus and CBS All Access are waiting in the wings to offer that content. So I think that, you know, before I was saying this was not zero sum, that people would get multiple services, it's going to be zero sum to some extent when Netflix runs out of content. And so I think Netflix really is hurt more than anybody else by the lack of ability to produce because they don't have a giant library of own content. Comcast has 50 years of television, they can, they can show 60 or 70 years. Yeah, so for now, Netflix does have uh, more new content, but you're saying that eventually they'll run out and the companies that can bank on their libraries like and their IP like Disney and Comcast and, and, and even like HBO or AT&T are, are better positioned uh, than Netflix. I want to yeah, move you on. Know, I, well, I, yeah. I would say if, you know, if, if CBS told you that they would show The Twilight Zone, I Love Lucy, and The Dick Van Dyke Show, those were all CBS shows, you know, right. that's worth something. I mean, you'll, you'll actually watch it. You'll probably watch it with your kids. Because it's nostalgic. Man, Viacom CBS has gotten hammered here. I want to get your thoughts on the video game stocks, uh, Michael. Uh, Activision Blizzard has uh, just 
taken off here. Uh, and uh, it's not at all time highs, but it's getting there. Um, can you comment on the implications of the past few weeks or few months on, on that industry and take two Nintendo, EA, and Activision? Sure. It's exactly what I said um, when I was talking about, you know, Netflix being the buffet and when you watch more uh, content, you don't pay more. With the video game publishers, that's only partly true. Um, if you're playing the same old game that you've always played and you paid for it, like Assassin's Creed, where there's nothing to do, that's Ubisoft, um, then no, Ubi doesn't make more money if you spend an extra you know, 10 hours a week playing the game. But if you're playing a free-to-play game or you're playing a purchase game like Call of Duty that has a free-to-play con- component to it, and you go from playing five hours a week to six hours a week, 20% more, you are spending 20% more. So the right way to think about the publishers is look at their revenue and look at the portion of their revenue that comes from in-game spending. For Activision, that's about two-thirds. For Electronic Arts and Take-Two, that's about half. For Ubisoft, about 25%, and for Nintendo, about 5%. So the, the guys who have the biggest percentage of leverage you know, tied to in-game spend are the guys who are gonna benefit the most from the stay-at-home phenomena. If you are a Candy Crush player and you were playing five hours a week and you're now playing six, you are spending 20% more. Activision owns Candy Crush. So Zynga and Glue are massive beneficiaries of this. Uh, Microcap SciPlay, massive beneficiary of this. Those guys are 100% in-game spent. Um, Activision two-thirds, so they're up because they deserve to be up. And we just uh, pulled the charts today on Call of Duty Mobile. It's it's averaging number 15, which means it's doing about three or 400 million a year in uh, in revenue. That's just gigantic. Uh, Ron, Michael Pachter, uh, Managing Director, Equity Research at Wedbush Securities. Uh, Michael, is this a watershed moment for esports or uh, or not? Uh, not it, it's uh, esports is a is a generational phenomenon, and you know I'm sure that you guys don't watch it, and yet you know your kids do, um, and so and come back to me in 20 years, you know when your kids are our age and and their kids are watching esports, and then I think it will be a phenomenon. It's a very slowly growing phenomenon, you know. So today we saw Facebook announce Facebook Gaming, which is a a Twitch uh, competitor. Um, you know, and, and so Twitch, obviously, YouTube has a comp- competitor for Twitch. Uh, Microsoft Mixer has a, co- a competitor. Everybody's going after that market. But this is, esports is the early days of television. There, there are a few people watching, few 200 million. And that 200 million is going to grow to 400 million in 10 years and a billion in 20 years and 5 billion in 40 years. So it, it's it's moving up the, the chain, but it's not monetizing to the extent that it's really worth talking about yet. So moving up maybe a couple of years, but you're saying still ways away from, I guess, what would be mass adoption? Correct. Okay. Um, and I just want to ask you about just like uh, you mentioned a few other smaller names there. Uh, I want to talk about Nintendo and, and Zynga real fast. Uh, you mentioned Nintendo as, as not having as much of, uh, of exposure to the in-game purchasing model. Uh, what about, what about like Zynga here? Well, Zynga is, uh, Zynga is about, uh, 85% um, in-game spend and 15% ad supported. So what I said earlier about advertisers spending less, that's for sure hitting about 15% of 
of Zynga's revenues. The good news is that because engagement is up double digits in mobile gaming, um, and that's where Zynga sells its ads, it's probably making up for the lower ad rates by picking up engagement. Uh, they are crushing it on all of their games. I mean, everything is going up in the charts. Um, so that and Activision on our best ideas list. Um, I, I think that those guys are just going to continue to kill numbers. And they're launching three games in the second half of the year. Uh, people are bored, ready for something new. Um, I think Zynga is going to keep working. I, I like it a lot. How much is like an Activision operations like impacted by the lockdown? Is it impacted at all? Or are all these people who are making new games and working on new games just working from home? The, uh, for mobile, not at all. Um, you can do everything from home. For console games, there's two components of the, of the uh, production of games, development of games that require face-to-face -face contact. One is motion capture. So when you see a, you know, a guy in Madden running down the field, you actually have to take that wide receiver and, and you know, hook him up to motion capture suit and get his movements. Um, you can fix that if, it, especially like say Joe Burrow comes into the league, uh, they can say, oh, Joe Burrow runs just like Dante Culpepper. You know, we have him from 15 years ago or just like Drew Brees and we have a current mocap on him. So you can fix that. Um, the second piece is the collaboration required at the end of the game development process to edit in all the music and the voiceover work and make sure that you bridge each level of the game with what they call the cutscene, the theatrical you know, scene in between. That requires typically between five and ten people to get together. And I think that dovetails nicely with you know, the relaxation of the stay-at-home rules. Um, we may have to work in hazmat suits, but we're probably going to be allowed to work in the same room. And they'll put plexiglass barriers between desks and stuff. But I think they can get those things done. So I'm not worried yet about game development being interrupted. You know, come back to me in July or August, and let's see if uh, the virus has gotten worse. If it, if it hasn't, I think we're going to be fine. Uh, Joel, I think you had something, unless you're on mute. Joel is on mute. Joel's yeah, on, on mute. mute. He's trying to ask you. You guys like to mute me? I'm back. Uh, our final question here for uh, Michael uh, Pactor from Wedbush Securities. Um, and you can pass on this one, too, if you want. Um, just like a broad macro view, I know you're a veteran of the markets. You, you're probably up there a lot my age. You've seen different cycles in the markets. You've seen recessions. You've seen internet bubbles. Um, is there something that you could compare the current market environment to? I mean, you, you really people are on polar opposites. Some people think that you know we're in for a long, prolonged recession. Other people think, hey, Q3, boom you know, everything's going to be back to normal with sporting events and everything. Uh, yeah. Would you like to make a comment on that? Yeah. First of all, I'm significantly older than you. I have shoes older than you. Um, I doubt that. I yeah, doubt I'm that. pretty old. I'm pretty old. Okay. Um, you know, I, I think this is comparable to the great depression and I, although I think we'll come out of it much faster. Um, I think we should be looking at the charts from 1929 to 1932. And the truth is, you know, I think the market has failed to price in, the depth of, of the job, you know, the, of the job market, of the employment market. And, you know, we're not going back into restaurants till there's a vaccine. So I would say the earliest that, that we return to normal 
is, you know, April, if we believe Dr. Fauci, that, you know, 12 months at the earliest for a vaccine and you get 300 million people back vaccinated. Um, so I think people haven't yet thought through the ripple effect of, of joblessness. Joblessness means people don't pay rent and it means that businesses don't pay rent. Um, look at the commercial real estate market and watch that collapse. Watch what happens when all those office buildings you know, default on their mortgages. What happens to the banking system? So I think the market has completely whiffed on looking at the long-term implications of a near-term financial crisis. And I think we're headed for one. Um, we can pump all the money we want into the economy and hope we prop that up. But the U.S. You know, national debt goes to $30 trillion if we do that, which, which is probably going to happen. Um, so uh, this is really not pretty. And I'm shocked that the market is shrugging this off. And like you said, saying we're going to be back watching the Dodgers win the World Series this, this uh, summer. Dodgers are the best team in baseball right now. Uh, that may or may not be true. Michael Pachter is the managing, managing director of equity research at Wedbush Securities. Mike, thanks so much for the time and uh, sure. be safe out there. Thank you. All right. Uh, one more thing on this USO uh, that I just saw on Twitter from Ben Carlson, who's a great follow, uh, a wealth of common sense. He works at, uh, at Ritholtz uh, Capital Management. Uh, year to date, USO has added $2 billion in AUM. How does that make any sense? I mean, riddle me that. People are trying to buy the bottom. I guess. Um, it, it, it's the logic that Oh, oil's got to go back up. I'm just going to buy USO and I'm going to rake it in because eventually oil's going to come back. And those people need to read the prospectus because the contango effects here are significant and it is probably going to have significant tracking here. It's not going to track oil and obviously it's probably going to underperform unless we go to backwardation and you think the current contract's going to roll and storage costs are all, going to, all of a sudden going to drop significantly then you know they can actually benefit from that because the way it's structured. But as of now, with the way the market is in such you know severe contango here, they call it super contango, it's difficult to play oil that way because it's not going to track the crude futures as, as well as, as you would think it would because the storage costs are significant. But we talked about all that. And that's why, I, you know, as USO is an investment vehicle, I think it's not the best way to play it. If you're really bullish oil, Pick on a, a few oil stocks that you think are going to survive. Don't buy the little, you know, like the ones that you think, you know, have a potential to go under here. And there was a lot of them. But it's a difficult trade right now. It's a difficult bet to make. Some of the best oil companies of last year have, you know, been down significantly. Think about Diamondback Energy, F-A-N-G, FANG. Everybody was talking, you know, about this stock. And it's held up very well. Starts the year in 2020 up around $96 a share. It's 29 bucks. I mean, this was one that, you know, was a Kramer fave. This was one that you know, uh, has been a market favorite for a long time, and it's down significantly. So even the, the oil stocks that have been so-called best of breed by certain media personalities there have underperformed substantially as well. So it's difficult, you know, to just think this is going to turn around all of a sudden. And I think, you know, Michael Pachter's hit the nail on the head too, not only from the virus perspective, but, you know, this oil crisis is a crisis as well. You're really dealing with two crises. Um, obviously, the virus is the main one, but the financial, the banks are, are down for a reason. They're not rallying as much as the overall market on the most recent rally. Yes, they rallied nicely on Friday because everything was ripping higher. Obviously, the dash trash we've been talking about. But banks have been underperforming for a while. And I think Michael hit the nail on the head and stuff that I've been saying about it is the financial crisis part two is not off the table here. 
And if you're looking at the Canadian banks, they're more exposed to oil and bad oil loans. And that's going to hit like a Bank of Nova Scotia, BNS. And full disclosure, I actually have some BNS um, in the long-term portfolio, which I wish I didn't have. I own a couple of Canadian banks and it's less, less than 1% of my portfolio, which is becoming less. But there's some significant exposure to be concerned about from the Canadian banks perspective as well. Some of the dividends on the Canadian banks are six, seven, 8% now. And when you start getting up to these seven, 8% dividends, there is now a concern. People will just, if they thought there was no financial risk whatsoever, they, in, you know, in, in an environment where you're getting 0.4% on a treasury bill, you can get 6.5% in a bank stock. You're like, wow, you know, these are you know, really good long-term investments. You know, these Canadian banks of history, they, some of them have never cut their dividends before. Not joking. But with that being said, the market is pricing in something else. With Bank of Montreal, and I, I own shares of Bank of Montreal. My wife worked there for a decade. 6.54% dividend now. Um, TD Bank, 5.61. Royal Bank, which is probably the biggest and the, maybe the most well-structured in Canada right now um, from a conservative loan perspective, 5.26% dividend. But then you got Bank of Nova Scotia sitting at 6.61. You go to like Laurentian Bank and some of these other ones. Like I said, I do have some Canadian bank exposure in my retirement account. I wish I didn't though, because um, they've really been hit. And you'll just wonder, is there the potential to go into financial crisis part two? The Canadian banks never got hit like the U.S. banks back during the financial crisis. They have a lot more conservative lending policies. But with that being said, when there is literally not anything happening out there, like it, it's, it feels like there's like, you know, like the business, obviously, for the banks. Like think about, you know, at a commercial banking department right now. What kind of deals are they doing? Like, you know, this is, the economy is, is shut down. And Canada has it shut down more than the U.S. in a lot of parts. Like, you know, Ontario's on lockdowns where you get fined for, you know, being out in certain areas. They're very strict on it. It's scary to be an investor in the banks at this point in time until you get some clarity on, one, when the virus is going to turn around, and two, where is this oil crisis going? Because Canadian economy revolves a lot around oil. And so there's you know, a lot of things to be worried about. From a U.S. bank perspective, yes, there's some exposure to oil as well, but there's exposure in a lot of other places too. And I do not think we're out of the woods. So I've got this question earlier. I know I've been on a rant here for about five minutes. I got this question earlier in the chat. You know, when are you going to start deploying some of that 65 to 70% cash that you're still sitting there? When I get more clarity of that we are out of the woods, yes, it's been a nice rally. But I've been, like you said, I sold my square. I've been selling into this rally. I did buy a few stocks. I've been like rotating this stuff that I thought would perform better. And I've been talking about those different stocks. You know, uh, uh, obviously, you know, I bought Microsoft and right. stocks, stocks that are rich with cash. But it's difficult to just say, I'm going to come in here and buy everything in the market because we're going back to all-time highs. Logically, that makes zero sense to me. And I obviously trade a lot on logic. Technically, maybe we're just going to squeeze the hell out of all the shorts and we're going to take us back over 3,000. Like we had Craig Johnson on last week saying, we get over 2,800, we're going to 3,000 the S&P. Um, well, we haven't done that yet. We're still holding on here. There's still a lot of things to be worried about. We get a vaccine, we get a cure, everything, you know, all of a sudden maybe could go back to normal. But until that happens, if we're a year away from a vaccine, this 2020 could still be ugly. Uh, I, Joel and I are, are going to stay on for an extra couple of minutes and take some tickers uh, from the chat. So while before we do that, Dennis, uh, why don't you give any final thoughts you may have today? My final thoughts are today is going to be one of those days where we see Friday's trade reverse. We're seeing Friday's trade reverse here significantly in the pre-market where they're dashing for trash and they were hitting all the COVID stocks. 
and what I mean by the COVID stocks, the stocks that have been benefiting, the Amazons, the Costco's, the Netflix. Now you're seeing that trade go the other way here again. So around and around we go. The rotation continues. Netflix trading up 3% in the market, completely negatively correlated with the market right now. So market goes down, Netflix goes up, market goes up, Netflix goes down. That's how it's trading right now. It's trading right along with the virus. Netflix shareholders want a lockdown, want the lockdown to continue because they're benefiting obviously from the increased screen time and getting subscribers in that way. Amazon is, seems to be the same way. Amazon's trading up 16 points here this morning. In normal markets, Amazon moves right along with the S&P. These are not normal markets right now. It has a negative correlation. That will change. That will change again. Amazon won't always be negatively correlated with the market. But as of this time right now, if you are buying Amazon, you're betting, a, 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 it's basically a short bet. If you are a long Amazon, it is, it is, or if you're a short Amazon, it's basically a long bet. That's what the market is doing right here right now. I have a whole list of, you know, stocks that are performing the same way. Same thing, you know, Michael Pactor just on Activision Blizzard. It's trained down the pre-market, but you know, I own Activision Blizzard in the long-term portfolio because of Michael Pactor. And until he tells me to sell, I'm not going to sell because Michael's given me a lot of good ideas in the past. The candy crash and, and obviously Activision What about Blizzard that one well. that got taken out? You that, was candy you... that was uh, uh, King Media, which owned Candy oh, right. Crush. And he said on our show, he says, I almost want to stop. I remember Michael saying, if you're still listening, Michael, uh, you were saying on the show, you came on maybe two or three years ago before the takeover, so K-I-N-G. And he's like, I almost want to stop covering the stock so I can go and buy it because he can't buy the stocks that he's covering. And when he said that, I'm like, okay, I went out that day and I bought King Digital. <laughs> and I bought it at like 12 bucks and I got taken out at 17 six months later. So thank you, Michael, for that one. Activision Blizzard was the same thing. He thought this was a double a year ago when the stock was at like 48 bucks. He said that on our show. I bought the stock. It's 66. It's not a double yet, but it's been doing pretty well in a horrible environment. So it's been a good one too. Michael Pactor is a great analyst. He does, you know, obviously he's been wrong with the Netflix, but you know, he uses logic, he uses fundamentals. He's kind of, you know, cut from a little bit of the same cloth that I am where I logically think about what can benefit. What's the story that's going to be here. And you can use charts. And I obviously, I love charts. You know, I use them in my trading as well, but it is not my go-to, you know, source for making a trade. I use logic and, you know, Jason Rasnick was on talking about this too. Is there a story? If there's a story to come, if the story is still hot, nothing else matters. A story will carry a stock a lot further than fundamentals. So once the story cools off, then fundamentals matter. Right now, all of these COVID plays like Amazon, Netflix, the e-gaming stocks, Zoom, Teladoc, Roku, they're all trading along with the story. And the story is, hey, we're still in a lockdown here, and what are people doing at home? Peloton, same story. I mean, the stock ripped. It's downgraded this morning by BMO. Um, it's probably a buying opportunity, to be honest, until we get clarity. And, and when you see us get out of this lockdown, maybe some of this trade is going to start to come off. And maybe that is already starting to happen with the way Trump is talking here. But they still are not out of the woods here. So it's going to be those correlations that you have to respect. I make money from trading relationships. Right now, the relationship between Netflix, Amazon, and the S&P is actually Absolutely. negatively correlated, which is... Not a long-term relationship, but it is, in, it is in the short term right now. Roku as well. Roku, I haven't even brought updates. Probably up. Yeah, it's up a buck. I mean, you can just think, like, right now, there's trading on the lockdown. They want the lock. These, the shareholders in these want the lockdown to continue. Do you see anything for, uh, for you, though? I know keep you a couple minutes extra here. It's okay. uh, anything with the balances? Uh, yeah, you know what? Interesting one. Procter Gamble. Um, so there's a few. I'll just show out a few. Procter, 308000 to sell. 
So PG, which is trading down now three bucks in the pre-market, probably because that selling balance is significant. Was there was there any commentary? Was there, I didn't look up Procter Gamble. Was there, if Spencer, anything in the news on Procter Gamble? Well, they're coming off of earnings. Don't forget that. Um, so you got uh, another, yeah. That was Friday morning, though. Yeah, uh, but no, I, I haven't seen. I have not seen anything today on, on PG. So probably just significant selling balances holding it down this morning. That could be an opportunity. I mean, PG on a pullback, people are still, it has been benefiting from COVID as well. It is down significantly. So as day traders out there, that might be one that I might try to buy the open on. We'll see if that holds. Um, just looking through ExxonMobil, Chevron, huge selling balances, obviously oil getting licked. So those stocks are getting licked as well. Exxon 393,000 sell, Chevron 107,000 sell. The banks are getting hit hard this morning for the reasons that I cited. Oil crisis is a concern for the banks, more so the Canadian ones in the U.S., but again, the U.S. do have some exposure to bad oil loans as well, and as oil goes down, it gets concerning, and as the markets go down, the, the betas on the banks are higher as well because um, the, we, we don't know what's going to be happening with a lot of businesses if we're in a prolonged shutdown, so nobody wants the, the virus to go away more so than the banks, so Citi, Bank of America, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, all getting hit, Citigroup 224,000 to sell here this morning, although I believe it caught an upgrade. Uh, that's pretty much, they're, they're to the sell side. They're not as significant as you would think. Um, will there be buy the dippers? A buy the dip keeps working. We haven't shaken that. So uh, as a trader, I'm probably more inclined to buy the dip here as well. But as an investor, I'm still sitting with a bulk of cash. I've got, I put my investing hat on. I'm not comfortable to start going all in on this market. And I think you're also chasing. Like I got this question three times over the weekend, people sending me messages, should I be buying stocks right now? The easy money was made three, four weeks ago buying stocks. Now, if you're buying, you're like, you're banking that this is over. Like the, the, if you're buying stocks here, you're saying it's over. We're going back to our normal way of life. And we're going to be, you know, six months from now, we're just going to be like, this never happened. That could happen. We get a vaccine we, earlier than, than predicted. We get a cure, you know, maybe the Gilead trials get really well. And this is looking like, you know, we're, we're, we're getting out of this mess. But if that doesn't happen, if we have a hiccup, if we start to open up and all of a sudden you start to see the spread start to you know, go up again, then that's a concern as well. So I'm not comfortable to go all in here on the market. All right, Dennis, thank you. That, uh, that was like a nine minute rant, but very worthwhile. Good points, good points take a there. Drink of water. All right, we'll let, we'll let you get a drink <laughs> of water there and get ready for the open. We'll do a few stocks here and um, I kind of want to change things up a, a little bit because you guys throw in symbols in here and I like to do my best. And I assume like m just about everyone is long these stocks or looking to buy these stocks. I know we do have uh, like George Gotch in there that are some short traders and whatnot. Uh, but try and like give me a little color. I try and make the, you know, the analysis as two-sided as possible. So Spencer, did you get to write down a few of the symbols or? Uh... Uh, yeah, I wrote a couple down. Let's start with Regeneron here. I know you don't like the high price name, sorry, but we haven't talked That's about okay. this for a while. Regeneron did have some news last week. They gave an update on uh, one of their, or on their COVID uh, program that is in the preclinical phase. They also caught an upgrade to buy from Benchmark on Friday morning. So that was the reason for the Thursday, Friday move in Regeneron. I mean, what, what, you can't say anything bad about this stock. Uh, back up near all time highs, pulling back a little bit today. Um, I would just zoom out to your monthly charts on this one if you own it. And you can see there was a, uh, a monthly high at 592.59, which we have surpassed. The all-time high is 605.93, and uh, 
So wait for that. I mean, if you feel that it's a target on the upside, you want to get out, <clears throat> wait to see if it gets up to that 605.93 area. Of course, you know, they come up something on COVID-19 and, you know, it could be off to the races. I will just note that Gilead uh, never traded where it was during the pre-market. <clears throat> and now it's trading lower in today's session. That might be market related. So, you know, move a stop up if you, you like this one. Wait for the old time, you know, the old time high to come into play. And I'll just give you, a, you know, one thing. We talked about UNH last week and it had, it approached its all time highs. And I think I mentioned it had seven highs between like 302 and 307. That thing got up to 304 Friday and then they pulled the rug on it. So it's going up. It's going up nice and fast. Just up pick your target. Our, our EGN can't really recommend it shorting it. Uh, we didn't even get to earnings, but there's not much tonight. The, he the headliner, though, is IBM. They report after the close today. <clears throat> I'll pull up a chart there of IBM. Okay, IBM. Man, I haven't looked at 110. Let's see where this thing's at. Oh, you're oh not a, uh, 120. <sighs> Man, this thing seems to always beat on earnings and just give it back. Real long-term downtrend. Uh, nice little... Wow, it's not quite the 50%. Uh, no interest in owning this one. If you get a pop off the earnings, see what happens at 125.18. Uh, that was your high from last week. Uh, coming back down, if you feel like you want to own this on a, on a retracement, you did. Uh, you had a 35-point move, 17. So maybe if it comes back into the 107, 108 area, uh, that could be a uh, potential area of support on a decline. Not seeing any daily lows there, though. Uh, all right. I think that would should be a okay. good place to wrap up for the day. So thanks to both our guests, uh, Phil, uh, Paul Perlman and uh, Michael Pachter. We appreciate them joining us. We also appreciate everybody in our chats, both on YouTube and on premarket.finzinga.com. Catch a podcast of this show or the replay on YouTube. And for a free trial and discount to Benzinga Pro, click on the link in the description of this video on youtube everyone have a great rest of your day please remember all the information from our show is meant to be used as informational purposes not for investing or trading advice joel and i will be, will be back with you at uh 3 40. in the meantime have a great rest of your day and be safe doctors take field of greens for their own health here's dr ryan green to explain we're like you too much fast food not enough exercise that's why i take field of greens the fruits and vegetables in Field of Greens support my heart, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism for weight loss. And Field of Greens promises your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. Get 15% off with promo code HEALTH at fieldofgreens.com. That's promo code HEALTH at fieldofgreens.com. Product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.